What's going on, listeners? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies, another episode as we are here to talk about Jurassic Park, a franchise that seemed dormant, um, no pun intended, for the longest time. Um, And then with the release of Jurassic World, the successful release, uh, a series that is certainly back in the mainstream and one that is coming out with a new release uh, before you know it, June 10th. So leading up to Jurassic World Dominion, uh, we will be covering all of the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies here at Matt Goes to the Movies. And Rob, we start with maybe a, a slight look ahead. Uh, we start with a good one for sure. Yeah. Um, holy cow. Uh, how can you possibly ever say enough good things about the original Jurassic Park? I mean, how many, how much more iconic of a movie do you need? Just even thinking about something like the score and the theme, can you think of five movie franchises with a more iconic score and theme than the Jurassic Park theme? I mean, you'll probably get Star Wars. That's the obvious answer. That's number one, as it should be. Somewhere on there, you probably get Jaws, and you'll get uh, Indiana Jones is probably in a lot of people's top three. And then a lot of people like the score for Lord of the Rings. But man, this is one that gets kind of slept on a little bit in terms of overall score. In terms of overall just great iconic scenes and just pure entertainment value, I really don't think we as as a culture give Jurassic Park enough credit. Yeah, I'd be interested to to hear, you know, what people think uh, about this movie. And in terms of overall score, I think it's really good. But I think if you ask somebody just that that main theme, I, I think that's up there with, you know, um, like you said, Star Wars. I think it's right up there. Certainly, I think the Avengers theme um, w- would be up there nowadays just based on how popular that series has been. But Boy, this main theme in this, it, it it gives me goosebumps every single time I hear it. It, it. it hasn't changed. Every single time. And even when they switch, particularly at the end of the movie, with just kind of the quiet piano version of it, it's so effective. And even thinking back to when they released the second Jurassic World uh, film and they were using just kind mm-hmm. of like a a different version of that theme. Like that's how, you know, you have an iconic theme when just a a variation of it can make little goosebumps pop up on you instantly. I mean, even just think about the font they use for Jurassic park, like the, the way they do the movie poster and and the way they do the the actual title of the movie, like even the font they use is iconic. I mean, Mm -hmm. what more can you say? Yeah. I, I think what more we can say is let's, Let's really start breaking, well, not break this movie down, but because we're going to follow the same format. I, you know, I understand this is an old movie, um, but for some reason, if somebody out there um, has seen the social media post and said, hey, uh, Jurassic, you know, Jurassic World, maybe for some reason you've only seen the Jurassic World movies and have never gone back and watched any of these. uh, We are going to do the watch rating. And that is going to be on the scale of either is it rewatchable in a high, a medium or a low category. It'll contain our brief thoughts about the movie uh, spoiler free uh, until we get into spoilers. So uh, I'm going to go first. And for me, this is an obvious high watch rating. I mean, this movie, it literally has 
every single thing that you could want. It's got a great story. It's got a great cast, a great score, still special effects that they actually hold up much better than I thought. Um, I went and saw this movie when it was re-released in 3D, um, which actually made it really cool. I've gone and seen it there. And one thing that this movie has too, and I think, Rob, I think you'll understand and you know, any older listeners will understand too. This movie not only does it have great cast of score, but this movie back then, much like Harrison Ford with Han Solo and Indiana Jones, this movie has like, for the casual person, this movie has sex appeal. And I think, you know, like, <laughs> like now, honestly, not, not for me and you, but there's two main characters in here who, if you talk to anybody, you'll know it's like, eh, we'll, we'll get into it. But they're, they were like sex symbols, like these characters, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of watch rating, um, I, I guess what I'll start is. Could you think of 20 movies you like better or you would rather watch than Jurassic Park? Probably not. I really doubt that you could think of 20. Could you think of 10 movies you like better or could would would rather watch at any given time than Jurassic Park? Maybe. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I think when you start getting down to could you think of six? Could you think of five? That's when you really start realizing like, oh, holy crap. I really like this movie an awful lot. Um I had mentioned this, you know, not everybody's maybe listening to our Halo recaps and I talked about it briefly on the last one, but, you know, thinking about this movie, I've seen it a bunch of times um, and getting ready for this, you know, got a lot going on. So I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'll watch it on fast forward when I do my rewatch because I've seen it enough times Mm -hmm. where I feel like I, I know it. Right. So maybe I'll watch it on fast forward or maybe I'll like skip 15, 30 seconds ahead at a time or or maybe I'll just kind of fast forward a little bit or kind of or zip around a little and, you know, drag the cursor across the screen. No, you can't do that. You no. can't do that with this movie. You get sucked in, you know, and, and what occurs to me as it goes on and on and on. Steven Spielberg is just a master at storytelling. And I think yep. that this film probably I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily call it his best work, you know, that that's, that's, that's really going, I mean, he's, he's got a really deep, deep, you know, library of, of films of great films that he's made. But, you know, if you are somebody who's thinking about getting into the film industry and you want to become a filmmaker, this should almost be required viewing to understand how to present something that just tells a great story. Every scene has tension has drama has stakes you are invested in the outcome of every scene in this movie um so if you haven't figured it out already this is this is as high of a watch rating as i can possibly assign something it's it's as high as i can think of any movie since since watch rating became something that we rank this is as high as i can think of yeah, I I a hundred percent agree. This is one of those movies that when you sit there and I I just break this movie down, it's one that I can a hundred percent watch. And again, like you said, not skip anything. I, I want to watch this movie absolutely from start to finish every single time. Um, and like want to sit down and watch it, like not have things going on, just be 
it like it engaged in the movie. One hundred percent. And, you know, this is one of those ones like you can't just put this on while you're doing something else. You'll stop doing that something else. You'll get pulled in. You know, you'll hear that piano music in the background, you know, the, with a the theme. You'll you'll hear that iconic T-Rex scream. You'll hear the Raptors mm-hmm. like, you know, you'll hear one of the great iconic lines. And there's a bunch of great iconic lines from this movie. And and then you're pulled in and now your laundry is sitting wet in the dryer and you've completely forgotten about it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's yeah, that's that is exactly what can happen. So uh, let's move forward and let's start getting into spoilers. So listeners, like we said, if for some reason you have not seen this movie and this is your opportunity to finally start watching the Jurassic Park movies. Uh, good news. They're on HBO Max. You can stream the first three if you have that subscription. So hop on there and and start watching them. But uh, if you have seen the movie and you don't care about spoilers, uh, this is where we're going to get into popcorn time and really just break this thing down and just talk about what actually happens in this movie. And, you know, Jurassic Park is... It's a movie about a park about dinosaurs. In the most simplistic way that you can describe it, that's what the movie's about. But there's nothing simplistic about this movie it has again um it has emotion it has characters that you can get behind it has you know back when it first came out it has moments that are you know not i I won't say terrifying but there's there's angst there there's all these emotions that pop up during this movie and it starts with the main cast and the the main cast um Really, Sam Neill is Alan Grant. Uh, Laura Dern is Ellie Sattler. Jeff Goldblum, Ian Malcolm. I mean, who doesn't know who Jeff Goldblum is at this stage in in <laughs> life? But you know, before Jeff Goldblum was, I, I think Rob, like known as, you know, the the quirky, funny guy, and you know, the guy that was in Thor Ragnarok. When I said like this movie has sex appeal, like his character Ian Malcolm was like. He was presented as this good looking kind of carefree guy that really resonated. Like I I have female friends who like were in love with this character. You know, and what's interesting. So this is based on Michael Crichton's book um, of the same name. Um, and uh, I had actually read it a long time ago. My mom even read this long before this was even made into a movie. I can remember her reading it. Um, and I remember being a kid like, ooh, that's that's got a dinosaur bone on the front. Because as a kid growing up, like all boys growing up do, I was obsessed with dinosaurs, completely mm-hmm. obsessed with dinosaurs. And I was trying to get her to let me read it. And, she, you know, she had to explain to me it wasn't, you know, wasn't really that kind of thing. So eventually, you know, when I was old enough, I did pick it up and read it. I, I think one of the things that is maybe a miss from adapting the book to the to the film is they don't. I think you don't really get a lot about who Ian Malcolm is. Like you, 
you kind of get the idea that he's he's got he's into chaos theory and he's kind of a mathematician but there's they really go a lot more into the book into who he is you know he he dresses like a rock star he presents himself like a rock star and that's really where that line comes from uh when they're on the helicopter you know i brought the scientist you brought the rock star it doesn't make sense if you haven't read the book like it, it's it kind of has always stuck out to me as a little bit weird um but uh yeah, it's, you know, there's endless memes uh, based on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jeff Goldblum's, you know, exposed chest just kind of hanging out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's it's he's got so many great lines in this movie from things like must go faster, must go faster. I love that one um, when he's standing around going, that is one big pile of shit. No, little <laughs> did we know that was actually him referring to the third film that hadn't even been made yet we didn't know it at the time but that's what he was referring to he had hopped Um, in a time machine somehow he somehow knew um you know really to me was the first time i i was aware of jeff goldblum and uh, still to me when i think of him i I think of jurassic park first right yeah no hundred percent i think a lot of people well you know if you mention jeff goldblum you think of jurassic park but you know, uh, again, we have the other two main characters, Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler, who, you know, we find out early on in the movie are funded by John Hamm, who wants to get their review on a, a, a park that he is trying to get off the ground. And he thinks their uh, their approval will go a long way into the lawyers allowing him to open the park. And, you know, it, Talk about a character who, you know, I wouldn't say he has short screen time, but for the person who, when you think about it, like makes all of this possible, he goes a long way in one movie. Yeah, I I think there's um, it's interesting to to watch the journey of Dr. Grant. Um you see him at the beginning and, and you know, he's got some quirkiness about him um, that, that makes him kind of fun. That makes him kind of endearing. Um, I will say that every time I've seen this movie from the, from the first time up through this most recent time, the opening scene where he's kind of like trying to scare the kid, it just comes across like, I don't know. It's, it's unnecessary. It's a little excessive. And like, if I have a complaint about this movie, that's, that's probably the only scene in this whole movie I skip. Um, but outside of that, you know, everything else that he does, it really endears you to him. And, and he's, he's kind of an everyman as a hero all at the same time. Um, I, the other minor complaint, I'll just go ahead and get him out of the way now. You know, they, they, they set up Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler as being romantically involved and no complaints about the performance of either of those actors uh, for their characters. But I never believe there's any chemistry between the two of them at all. Like they that's the, the one real glaring thing, I think, from this movie that stands out to me as kind of a mess is I never really believe they're together. See, that's funny because I- <laughs> If you've seen the trailer for Jurassic World Dominion, I actually like, I don't know. I, I get like this weird feeling. I know we're talking about Jurassic Park, but you know, you saying, you know what you're just saying. I, I just get this weird feeling that they were together. Like they have this huge connection and I don't know, maybe I'm just seeing it how I want to see it. But uh, I will say I, I've never gotten that. And especially on this rewatch, I 
I never really picked up on that. Yeah, it just it seems kind of weird because especially whenever Ian Malcolm is kind of talking about like, hey, is she available? And and Grant's like, nah, not really. And like, but how could you tell? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and I don't know. Like, it, it just it, there really isn't anything that suggests that to me. But um, you know, those are. <laughs> Very, very minimal things about this movie don't work for me. And that's always kind of been one of them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think uh, I I can certainly understand where you're coming from. Uh, There is that rumor. I don't know if you ever um, actually read this, but that kid that he intimidates at the beginning uh, ended up being Chris Pratt's character and how he has so much respect for dinosaurs. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, you know what, oh. I, I think I have heard that. Um, and and while I kind of, you know, I, I kind of appreciate if they're going to bring some things forward to the new trilogy. I, I think we've seen other films kind of go off the rails when they try to get too wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and try to tie too many things in that, right. that are unnecessary and not needed. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think I, I definitely wouldn't need that. So I hope that's not all of a sudden like this weird sticking point. Um, yeah. You know, that has that they bring into this. But um, so, you know, we get, you know, uh, John Hammond, he brings them to the park. And I'll tell you, it's again, even just in the trip, there's, you know, iconic lines right right in there and you know this is where we get that that opening theme when they first see those dino like when they first see those dinosaurs and one of the things that i just even to this day rewatching this i respect the hell out of for these actors it really looks like they actually are watching dinosaurs in real life like their reactions to me are just like their astonishment, their shock, they don't know what to, you know, they're, they're speechless because how would you react in real life if all of a sudden, once again, there were like you were standing in front of a real live dinosaur? And I think they just do such a fantastic job of portraying like the shock and amazement for what they're seeing in front of them. The reveal where they first see the Apatosaurus and all of the other uh, dinosaurs that are in that scene, that whole scene is is such a well-crafted scene. The camera work, the visuals, the acting, the editing, the music, it is just so well executed. And keep in mind that you know later in his career, Samuel L. Jackson basically shoots entire movies in the MCU in green screen. But in 1993, when this first came out, it wasn't like there was a lot of actors that had a right. ton of experience with green screen. Like, I want to say they were still even using blue screens back then. You know, like they hadn't mm-hmm. switched over to green just yet. So it wasn't exactly like there was a playbook to how to do this. And every time I see that opening scene, I am personally filled with the wonder and the awe and the sheer amazement that the characters are going through every single time I watch this movie. And uh, it's, it's very well crafted. I think what's kind of interesting leading up to that, Ellie's kind of playing around with this plant and she says, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's talking about this extinct plant. And, and to me, that's almost a little bit of a plot hole in this original movie, because it's not exactly like you could extract plant DNA out of a mosquito. So originally this would have been a plot hole, but then, you know, you kind of remember 
in Jurassic World, and I guess this would be a mild spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen Jurassic World yet. Um, there's kind of a throwaway line that Dr. Wu has where he kind of makes reference to the fact that since this movie came out, we kind of have acknowledged that a lot of the dinosaurs in this movie don't look anything at all like what we see. You know, they, they probably mm-hmm. were nothing like it. You know, raptors were really like three feet tall and covered in feathers and and so many other things, you know, like the T-Rex's visions probably not really based on movement. Like there's all of these things that we believe about dinosaurs because we saw it in Jurassic Park that we find out or, you know, like the the spitters don't actually spit like we you know that's made up for the movie but you know he had kind of has this line where he says you know nobody would really want to come see what they really look like so i took some liberties i had to make things bigger and scarier you know something along those lines um and it really occurs to you that he probably tinkered around a lot more with that dna than necessarily what he got because Let's not also forget, um, and Matt, I don't know if maybe you knew this or not, but um, the whole science that this is based on actually wouldn't work anyways because of the way the mm-hmm. DNA decays over time. So even if you found mosquitoes, there wouldn't be anything usable there. So the whole science that it's based on totally made up, but that's okay. Cause you know what? Like I'm poking holes in all the science of this stuff. And yet I still don't care because I love this damn movie so much. I'm on, I'm in it for the ride. I'm, I'm coming along for it and I don't care. Um, but you know, like I said, the, um, that initial kind of plot hole of how did you get an extinct plant? I, I think kind of gets solved by something they do sort of cleverly, um, in the first Jurassic world movie here. I thought this whole time, the government was just being lazy and they didn't want us to have dinosaurs. Ah! So I can, I can, I can I think give that up might be my, too. <laughs> I, I can give up my pipe dream for, <laughs> yeah. but you know, and um, like the other part too, is there's no way that these animals would even be able to survive either because at the right. time in history, when, um, you know, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, like the, the percentage of oxygen in the atmosphere was much, much, much higher. And this isn't like a global warming kind of like we humans are destroying the planet kind of thing. That's just, that's just what the climate was at that time. And that's why we have like these massive creatures. Like, do you ever see like pictures of what they think like millipedes look like during that, this period of time? Like these millipedes look like, you know, they look like anacondas, like they're four times the size of anacondas. Like everything was just massive. And it was because of the amount of oxygen that was in the atmosphere at the time made these things grow absolutely enormous. So there's, there's no way that even if we could do this, that they would even survive by the way. But, and yet I know all of these things because I love this movie and I read every article I can possibly find that ever pops up in any newsfeed I have that's on Jurassic park or about dinosaurs, because I'm that kind of dork. And I know all of this stuff. And this is probably the first time I've seen this movie since I really started reading all of this stuff over the last couple of years. And I still don't care. I still love this movie. Yeah, no, I, yeah, nothing that is, you know, like, oh, well, this would never happen. Like, this is one of those movies that it's crafted so well that, like you said, you know, some movies when you stop and you think about, like, what is happening, you know, we, we talked about this before where, okay, when you stop and you actually break this down, this is where the movie falls apart. If you stop for a second to try and think about it, you're going to like, okay, it's done. I can't stand it. This is not one of those movies because again, the cast is just, the cast is so good um, that that's what you focus on. Like that's what you care about in this movie. And just to, you know, go back just again to that first opening scene where they, well, not the opening scene in the movie, but where they see the dinosaurs 
you know, again, just when they're driving up in the car and he's talking to the lawyers and he's like, um, you know, they're seriously considering shutting you down. Like you have a week to prove to me that, you know, this park and he's like in a week, I'll be accepting your apology. Um, and then, you know, 45 seconds later, he's like, we're going to make a fortune out of this place. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, again, just in there, there's so many just these iconic lines like they're moving in herds. They do move in herds. The stuff like <laughs> like. Like just all of yeah. those lines in that one short period of time that you could just quote over and over and over and over again. Um, and you're what, 25 minutes into the movie? Like, yeah. Say it again. We have a T-Rex, you know, like right. all of those <laughs> things. Like you can think of it. You can hear those characters saying it in your mind. Like you, you don't even have to have seen it recently. You, you just can hear it in your mind so clearly. Yeah. And that's, Oh man. Like you said that. And then that big panning shot of, you know, uh, of the dinosaurs and that, Oh man, that score kicks in and it's just, it's such a great, great scene. Um, but I, I also do like the, the concept, because I think it does play very well. And I think it's something that they did. Um, I think it's something that they brought back in the Jurassic World um, series here is, you know, you, you spent so much time wondering if you could do it. You never stopped to think if you should do it. And I, I really like, you know, that I, I really like how they play off that message. Uh, in this movie, I think that's really well done too, without feeling like forced, like some of these things that they do could feel very forced, but again, because of the actors. And I think really just because of the script and the strong dialogue, a, a lot of it works where in a weaker movie or maybe with less talented actors, um, th these things don't work. Yeah. And I'll tell you what really stood out to me is they have that conversation around this dinner table and, and there's excitement and there's, you know, all of this mystery about how did they make this all work? And, and you start to see Grant and Sadler voicing their concerns as well. And, and Hammond even makes the comment, the only one on my side is the blood sucking lawyer. Um, I actually feel like I would have loved to have seen a longer version of that scene. I think the conversation they were having, the philosophical discussion about, you know, is this right? Is this okay to have done? Um, you know, what are the implications here? I was really, really captivated by much more so than any other time I've seen this movie. And I would love to, I would love to have seen this run 10 minutes longer. Yeah. I, I think again, there's some, um there's definitely some room to grow there, um, you know, and expand that scene. Uh, they certainly didn't do that, but um, there's so many people like looking at the cast of this movie too. It's crazy to think about, you know, what people are actually in this. Um, and, and like for me, cause it's my favorite TV show of all time. Um, I forget the actor's name, but the guy that plays Newman in Seinfeld, you know, is in this. You have, like you said, you have Samuel. Oh, Jackson. Yeah, Wayne Knight. Yeah. Yes, Wayne Knight. There we go. Um, it's just like, wow, you know, back then it was like for me, it was kind of like, hmm, I, I, I never thought, you know, Samuel Jackson would be Mace Windu, Nick Fury, like, 
it's just yeah. kind of funny to go back and look and see him as this um, compared to what we're we're used to seeing him now. Yeah, it's it's kind of the smallest role you can sort of remember him in. Um, and, you know, you're used to him kind of commanding the screen, being one of the top names on the marquee. Um, his name is nowhere on the poster, I don't think. <laughs> Which is weird. It's weird to think in 2022, right, that Sam Jackson would be in a movie and his name's not even on the poster. Right, exactly. So, um, but it, it, like most things, um, something is going to go horribly, horribly wrong uh, at this park. And again, this is where you get some iconic, iconic lines and really too, just some, just some great shots. I mean, the shot of the T-Rex running behind the Jeep and the, mm. it's so stupid, but again, just the cleverness of they actually make it so that they frame it. So you can see like objects and mirror closer than they appear with him, <laughs> yes. cha- with him chasing it. It's just a small detail, but uh, again, I, when, you know, like the, when you're on a roll, you're on a roll and the little things that this movie does, it just, it all adds up. It's those little things that, that Spielberg pays attention to that, um, you know, you kind of realize just like little stuff, you realize not, I want to say like flubbed lines, but there's, there's times where Hammond is speaking and he kind of like trips over his words, but it's left in on purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. there's little character bits between like Tim and Grant um, that you don't really always notice, or you don't even necessarily remember. And, And you just kind of really understand that that's Spielberg building this world for you, building who these characters are for you. Little things like that are so fantastic. I definitely, we need to talk about that, that T-Rex attack scene because I, you know, when you think about the most iconic scene in this movie, I think most people would probably point to the kitchen scene with the Raptors. I, I think that's probably like the scene most people remember. And it is very good. I mean, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's probably one of my favorite scenes in movies. You know, I, if I had to list my favorite movie scenes ever, this is on that list somewhere. You know, I don't feel like I'm confident saying what number it is, but that, but that you know, kitchen scene with the Raptors is on there. But you kind of forget how good this whole scene is where the where the T-Rex first starts to break out and they build that tension. They build it with the drops of the water and, and the way that the you see the eye, you see the face. And and I really want to call out how well done the balance is here between practical effects and computer-generated effects. Because if everything we saw in this movie, and I've said this a million times, anybody who's listened to the show uh, for episodes I've been on will know that I, I hate bad CG and, and really applaud pra- practical effects when used well. If they had done this whole movie as a cartoon, um, instead of balancing practical effects, mm-hmm. it would have had nowhere near the impact, particularly this scene with the Rex when you see the big face coming in. Obviously, a lot of it they had to do with with you know CG as well, but the times they use something real, 
it mattered. It worked. It's effective. It creates that tension. It creates that that fear. When this movie wants to do horror, it does the horror very, very well. Particularly, if yeah. we didn't really talk about the opening scene where the gatekeeper gets you know eaten by the raptor. Like that's a terrifying moment of this movie. Like you forget how many horror elements are actually in this movie. But that whole scene with the T Rex first coming out. Wow, is that good? I mean, again, this is something that if you were thinking about getting into filmmaking, you, this is required viewing. You need to study that. You could write a dissertation just on that scene and how well it's executed. Yeah, the the framing in everything um, with this movie is really good. Like you said, that opening scene. Um, but yeah, the the T Rex getting out and just how that is shot the the pacing of how it like you know again the pacing of how this movie ramps up is it it sounds simplistic but like you said if you're if you're filmmaking and things like that you know this movie has a natural build Uh, you know a lot of times now it's the movies don't have that pace anymore where you know it's it's hard to explain but this just the the way that this movie builds to the climax is exactly what you need because it gives you just enough. It, well, it gives you more than enough, but it just it gets you invested in the characters. It gets you invested in the park and what's going on and to watch it all unfold and crumble. And then the chaos that ensues, like you're just you're hooked. Yeah. And there's the moments where. You know, this movie could easily be try to just go on a breakneck pace the whole time, but it it balances, you know, the high tension moments where you're literally on the edge of your seat. No matter how many times you've seen this movie, you know, you are you're all in when when Grant is and Timmy are jumping out of the tree and he, he, Timmy's got the line. Oh, well, we're in the car again. You know, mm-hmm. like the the chaos and the fear and the, and the nervousness you have for the characters in that scene. And you balance that with kind of the softness of them all being in the tree together. And you see the brachiosaur and he shoots the snot all over Lexi, you know, like it it balances those moments so that when it wants to really ratchet it back up, when, when Ellie's looking and, you know, she finds Samuel L. Jackson's arm and, Oh, Mr. Arnold. Oh, Mr. Arnold. You know, Mm -hmm. like when it wants to go back and forth like that, you know, it's earned. It feels like that ramp up uh, matters. Um, so well, you know, I, I love that balance point between the crazy pace and and the softer moments of this movie, which which normally I would be like, all right, like skip this. I, I don't want to see this. Like get on, show me more dinosaurs, give me action. If it wasn't presented as well as it was, you could easily feel that about these kind of in-between moments, uh, trying to get just to the next big set piece. Right, exa- exactly. But um that that does not happen here you just you want to see absolutely everything that you know goes along with this so um all right let's let's talk about you know you talk about some of those horror elements and one of those things is um the raptor scene which again is just it is shot so well and again just the natural buildup in the tension of what's going to happen because there's sometimes the, what's the word I want to use here? Hmm. Well, 
I can't think of the exact word I want to use, but Rob, when they're main characters, you know, you, you fall into the trap of the audience thinking, well, nothing can really happen to them. Um, right. But here's the thing. There are times in this movie when you actually, for me at least, and now I know because I've seen it, but they do such a good job of acting like something could happen at any moment and it could happen to anyone. That's like another thing that's done really well in this movie. Yeah. You know, you think about some of the things we've complained about in, in other TV shows or movies, you know, we think about, you know, for those of us that have been watching halo, like how many times we complain about stormtrooper aim, you know, like the characters wearing plot armor, um, those kinds of things are, are real problems uh, mm-hmm. in entertainment. Um, and it has a very negative impact on the effectiveness of a scene when, when the tension doesn't seem to really be there because you don't really believe the characters are in peril. Um, it, it lowers your engagement in the scene. It lowers your, you know, your buy-in, you know, that, that willing suspension of disbelief that gets talked about in entertainment, be it live theater or TV or film. Um, that is not the case here. I mean, look, if we're being honest, you already know when you, when you buy your ticket at the theater and you go in, you already know it's PG 13. So you already know there's some limits on what they're going to show you. And this movie really pushes that by the way, there's some, there's some real pushing to the limits here of what you can get with PG 13. But I also think, and this is something that Spielberg did with jaws too. What, what he didn't show you was so much creepier than what he showed you, you know, thinking about specifically like uh, Dennis Nedry getting eaten by the, the spitters. Like you just see the Jeep rocking back and forth. And that's far more terrifying than if he would have tried to, you know, have, have like his intestines laying on the floor or something like that. Um, but, but that's, you know, not having real fear for the characters um, really pulls you out of it. And the way that this is created, the way that it's shot, you believe that those kids could get eaten, even though you know they're not going to. Like, what movie is actually going to show you a kid getting eaten by a dinosaur? Like, that's just that's just not what you expect when you go into the movie. But you still fear for the characters, naturally. Right, exactly. You Again, you know nothing's going to happen, but you sit there and go could something happen like yeah like i still believe that they were in danger when i watched this earlier today like i still feared for the characters knowing i've seen this movie a a gajillion times but you know when you're just going along with it like you still believe it right exactly and again this movie just still to this day it's you know for something that came out in 1993 again there are there are movies that it just do not hold up. And for something to come out in 1993 and, and still this hold up. almost 30 years old. Holy crap. Think about right. that for a second. Yeah, it's almost it, 30 years old. And it still holds up, uh, you know, and stuff that they shot on screen. I mean, I just recently, Rob, we were talking about this probably a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, where I just like rewatched Batman forever. And well, <laughs> like it, the, <laughs> That movie is, you know, I watched that and I'm like, this looks like a Sega Genesis video game in certain shots. It's it's unbelievable. And then you have this that for all intents purposes, like this thing should look worse than anything we're watching. And it it looks better than some modern releases, for God's sakes. 
So there was a kind of a big story that came out because this was one of the first major blockbusters that really leveraged computer generated imaging uh, for its visual effects, you know, particularly you think of like, I can remember seeing a featurette on the Gallimimus stampede. Like I, I specifically remember watching that and how they created it. And it still looks pretty good. Like mm-hmm. you compare that to when Killmonger fights Black Panther at the end of Black Panther. And, and, and you realize that that movie, like that's 25 years later that the Black Panther came out and it looks way worse than this. Um, there was another one that um, they were talking about the, the guy that did a lot of the practical effects when he saw the CG effects, he had, he had made the comment, well, it looks like I'm out of a job because mm-hmm. of how, how good they were. I, I can distinctly remember that story too. And, and they blended it a lot. Like, like we mentioned earlier, but it's unbelievable to me. Like, how good the effects overall look in this movie and, and how is it like, it makes me that much angrier when we see bad visual effects today. Like this movie came out 30 years ago. How are you not better than Jurassic park? Like, how are you not better than that? Right. Like you could not be better as a movie, but you should be better in the visual effects department for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have more computing power in the cell phone that we are recording this on right now than like that I'm talking to you through than what they had to make this movie with. Like that's, it's incredible. And and yet today there's still really piss poor CG that it just boggles my mind. Yeah, no, I mean, I went and saw this, um, you know, the re-release um, in 3d and even in 3d, this movie held up like unbelievable. And I mean, that was, geez, that was almost, 10 years ago now that that re-released in 2013 um and it looked great you know it looked great then on the big screen so yeah this would be the kind of movie that i think justifies 3d releases um 3d never really caught on like you you know you're one of the people that really liked 3d and and was hoping that it would go somewhere i know you've got a lot of 3d blu-rays and things like that um you know we the world needed more jurassic park style movies and and tv shows to come out to to try to get 3d to catch on that it just never did yeah no i mean certainly yeah i i really really enjoyed it and i thought when it was used correctly it really added um you know to the movie but so many things were just done with 3d conversion not shot in 3d um you know none of the shots were set up to lend to the effects of 3d so it was just like oh you know, let's add it so that it adds on to our ticket prices. Um, yeah. Which, you know, essentially really hurt things because you had movies that had more showings in 3D than they did regular. And people were just like, yeah, no, never mind. I'm just not going to go see it at this time. Um, so, yeah, because there's people who would get headache, headaches from it, too. You know, there's, right. I, I, I can't think of a lot of movies, but I, I actually saw Doctor Strange and uh, the first one in 3D, and that was worth the extra money for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, certainly Avatar is the biggest name one that, you know, yeah. really benefited from 3D. But, um, you know, getting back to, you know, the actual story in Jurassic Park, you know, as the park continues to just descend into chaos, um, you get the, you know, I, again, just like iconic shots. And I think it's a really cool shot where you see the canister that was housing the embryos for the dinosaurs. I just think like, again, just 
that little scene, like everything is framed, everything is filmed so well in this that even something as silly as a Barbasol shaving can is like captures the screen. You know, it's again, an interesting choice because somebody, another filmmaker might not have really done that, but to really solidify that that's, that's done, that's over. Like this character's kaput and, and showing it the way that he did. Um, I can remember coming out of this movie. Um, I went with my parents uh, when it first came out and I remember us driving home and, and kind of thinking, well, if they ever wanted to make a sequel, maybe somebody finding that can or that can making its way out of that kind of muddy Creek into somebody else's hands would be how they would, you know, restart a second movie. Obviously they did something very different, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I can, I can definitively remember that fan theory we had. Yeah, right. Ex- exactly. So, um, you know, as they're trying to get through the park and like, we've talked about, you know, the Raptor scene, uh, clever girl, uh, Mm. Just again, all of that, just things that you could repeat from this movie over and over again. Um, that visitor center scene at the end where the T-Rex come in, comes in and is basically like the hero, which is funny when you think about it. But uh, again, just that uh, that iconic shot of the T-Rex coming in and saving them that's one of those things where there's so many shots in this movie where if it was like a time capsule of, Hey, here's some great moments from cinema. I think you'd have, you would have multiple clips of this movie in that time capsule. As, as you, the listener are hearing these words, you already have in your head, a picture of the T-Rex roaring at kind of at the ceiling with that when dinosaurs ruled the world banner fluttering to the ground you're already picturing this vividly which again should should be corny it should be corny as hell and it's not it should be it should be and it's freaking effective you know like it's it's so on the nose that in a lesser film we would be making fun of that right now yep but it works yeah hundred percent it works um and you get uh, again you get these you get these characters that after all like you said i mean this movie came out almost 30 years ago and you're getting a new release this year and think about too movies that have done this that have waited and not even i mean jurassic world obviously but you look at things that are coming out now certainly the matrix resurrections did not work um but to have a movie that came out almost 30 years ago and still being able to make money like significant money at the box office and then coming back with the main characters from the original and having people like excited um it's rare it it doesn't happen a lot And I I think that just shows how well these characters were received. And it's even more so impressive considering uh, I won't say anything else about it, but the last time you saw, you know, these main characters on screen, um, at least a couple of them, it wasn't in such a great movie. Um, Certainly one that wasn't (laughs) highly regarded by the fans. Uh, No. No, not at all. Uh, made for some great levels in the Lego game. Um, but outside of that, um, there's, oh man, when we get to this third one, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's, it, yeah, 
we're going to dump all over it. And rightly so, um, because there's a lot of things that don't work about the third one. Um, it's the first film that was made, not adapted from a Michael Crichton novel. Cause he did mm-hmm. write a follow-up, you know, the, and there's big departures in the lost world from the novel. Um, but, but that's okay. Like I, I fully acknowledge that you can't just adapt one-to-one any, any form of entertainment into a different form of entertainment. You know, there's things that work visually that don't work on the page. You know, like if you're reading something, you know, you're picturing all these things in your head, you can't just adapt it to a video game or a graphic novel or a TV show or a movie, you know, things do kind of need to have, they do need Mm -hmm. to change a little bit, but even still there's, there's things about the second one that are not adapted well. and, And the third one just really falls flat on its face, but it's, um, you're right to think about how these characters are coming back for the sixth entry. Um, even in Spielberg's own library of films, he can't necessarily say he's been effective with that. I mean, certainly the, the three Indiana Jones films that we consider the trilogy are epic in every definition of the word. There's some of the most fun adventure films you'll ever see. And there's this, there's this crazy rumor going around that they actually made a fourth film. I, I think like I heard this rumor, it was supposed to be called kingdom of the crystal skull, but we disavow all knowledge mm-hmm. of the existence of a fourth film. So, you know, e- even Spielberg can't get that right all the time. Yeah, no, that's, that is a hundred percent accurate for God's sakes. Good Lord. <laughs> Whew. Rob, what, anything, a, I, what a turd pile that is. Right. Of giant piles of shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> good lord. Um, you know, anything else you want to talk about just in the scope of the story or anything, you know, that happens, you know, in this movie? You know, we were talking a little bit about some of the cinema cinematography choices and kind of an unconventional shot that we don't really see uh very many other places when they first get to the raptor paddock there's the moment they drop the steer or the cow or whatever they've got in and and the camera shows each of the characters reacting as those palm fronds are just swishing back and forth mm-hmm. and it's it's a really great shot if you haven't watched this movie in a while first of all go watch it it's awesome you you'll be happy every chance you get to watch this but when you get to that scene it's it's one of those things that i can't you know it's it's not something i feel like i've seen recently or before this or even or even shortly after this movie came out is it was kind of a really cool uh choice that i I like because the characters aren't even really in focus you know but you sort of just see their reactions to it as those things are just wiggling back and forth um you know which also kind of makes you wonder like okay well if that's the raptor paddock how are the guests ever supposed to see them (laughs) <laughs> like what were they, what were they going to do with them? Like, how are you supposed to watch them? Like, I think about taking my kids to the zoo, you know, and like how how you can see the lions and the tigers and and all the you know the big cats and the and the polar bears and stuff like that. Like, there's a way you can see them. There was no way to see where the raptors were, so I was kind of curious about that this time around. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, I, I totally understand that part there. I'll tell you one of the things that I found kind of interesting for this movie compared to the book um, in the novel, when uh, Dotson, the, uh, the, the guy, you know, who's a, a he's uh, 
completing corporate espionage, um, his partner is never actually revealed right away. You don't find out like in the book, it just says Dotson, you know, he gets to the restaurant or the meeting point, whatever it was. And his, his mark was already there. It doesn't, you don't actually know that it was Nedry until Nedry actually betrays everybody, you know, when he actually starts it. Um, which I think is kind of an interesting choice that the movie changed, you know, to actually show you right out of the gate who he was before we even know who Dennis Nedry is, you already know he's the traitor. Um, and I think that was kind of an interesting choice. And I, I honestly, I think it works just fine. Like it's not one of those things that I think needed to be kept a secret. Um, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's perfectly effective. Yeah, no, I think you're, I, I think you're a hundred percent accurate in that. So, um, Anything else? Because I've I've given my thoughts on, you know, on this movie. Uh, it's just it's fantastic. I love it. But I don't have anything to say about the actual plot of the movie. So I'll give you I'll give you the last opportunity to, to wrap yeah. that part up. Last question that I really have, and I've never noticed this before until now, but throughout before everything kind of goes haywire in the park, you do see other people there besides our main characters. You know, there's there's a couple other like support staff. There's the veterinarians. There's there's clearly people in the kitchen. Uh, You got to imagine there's like hotel staff like you got to imagine there's a whole bunch of other staff members that are running this thing that have been setting it all up. And then at the end of the movie there's like six people getting on the helicopter to get out of there. Like what happened to everybody else? Where's all the vets? Like where's all the other people? Did they just kind of get left there to be turned into dinosaur poop or do they have other copters? I don't know. It was just something I was wondering about when I watched it this time, but that's the last thing I've got. Yeah, no, I, I certainly, uh, I understand where you're coming from and, (laughs) and that, uh, that scheme of things. So for the, you know, the popcorn time segment of this portion, we'll wrap that up and we'll get into roll credits where we'll talk about, you know, just some final thoughts, give our real rating on this. So Rob, I went first uh, with my thoughts and watch rating. So I'll let you go first with roll credits. Sure. So um, when it comes to uh, ranking this movie, hold on to your butts. It's five reels out of five. Um, I think, I think that's pretty obvious and I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you're giving this five reels as well. Um, such a great adventure movie, such a great action movie, such a great movie with heart. Um, such a great movie to make you think as well. You know, it's, it kind of is almost in the same way that Godzilla was warning us about the dangers of science. Um, I feel like this is sort of the spiritual successor to what they were saying. You know, this, Godzilla was really warning about the dangers of the atomic bomb. Um, but how much further can science push the boundaries? I, I think there's some really compelling things that this movie says and, and the next several continue to say about humankind's ambition and, and what they're willing to do for a buck and what they're willing to risk uh, for it. And um, I think there's some really interesting things when you, when you get into some of the, the philosophy and, and the ethical questions around this film um, that I, I, I find very compelling, but yes, five reels out of five. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, this is absolutely five out of five reels for me. There's no doubt about it. Again, a, is this movie a hundred percent perfect from start to finish? No, but anything that this movie lacks, it just, it makes up with heart, humor, dread. And it's just, you know, again, almost 30 years later, this is still one of those movies that 
yeah, I'm like, oh, this is just so good. Again, there's there's not many things that I can sit there and rewatch completely where it's not like, okay, I have a good enough scope of this. I don't really need to watch the whole thing. So like if I get up and I'm doing dishes while this is playing in the living room or whatever the case may be like, no, with this movie, I want to sit down and watch this. And that says something for how long this has been out. I mean, regardless of where you would maybe rank this in your, your top 20, top 50 or, or top 100 films of all time. Like, can you, do you feel like you could confidently say, you could think of 10 movies you would rather watch than Jurassic Park. No, not really. Cause this is just, it's such a good movie. It, it has everything you would want from a film. Yeah. I, I don't think I could confidently come up with 10. I would rather see. Um, and I think that says a lot about it still 30 years later. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that'll wrap it up for Jurassic Park. Uh, certainly we have, you know, a lot more coming, some good, some not so good. Um, but sometimes those are, sometimes those are the best ones to do. So my, yeah. my, I think my most anticipated one, honestly, is going to be um, the lost world because I have not watched that movie. I think honestly, if I've seen that movie three times, I might, be over i might be mm. overthinking it i have really I, I don't remember a lot about that movie at all so um you know certainly there's things in the other movie that make in the other ones that make them memorable but i'm really interested to see the second one again because it has been an incredibly long time in one of the movies that I, again if i've watched that movie three times i, I might be overstating I think that'll be a lot of fun because I think when it's not fresh in your mind, when you don't already have kind of a lot of attachment to certain things um, and you're kind of looking at it with fresh eyes, I think there's going to be some parts that work really well for you this time around. And there's going to be some parts that you're like, get this out of here. <laughs> it certainly could be. That's, um, that's And then the third one is largely just get this out of here. Right. Exactly. So, all right, Rob, I'm going to let you like normal um, talk about. Obviously, we have um, I mean, there's a lot going on. Obviously, we have Jurassic Park. Uh, certainly, we've we talked with uh, Harrison from the basement bench today. So why don't you clue listeners in on to things that are that are coming up? Because there's a lot. Holy cow. Do we have a ton of great content coming for you, the listener? And it's free to download. Aren't you lucky? How cool is that? Um, Matt goes to the movies is available everywhere. Fine podcasts are available. Please download, subscribe, leave your comments, go to podchaser.com. It takes you literally seconds to leave a review on this very episode that is streaming into your earballs As I speak, you can go to podchaser.com, search for Matt goes to the movies, leave a five-star review or any honest review is certainly appreciated. And you can also leave a few comments about the episode itself. It's a great way to let other folks know who are looking for something new to listen to uh, that this is a program worth checking out and worth listening. Really, when you get right down to it, Matt Goes to the Movies is the best podcast that your friends don't know about yet. So make sure you tell somebody because there's so much great content up and down over the last two years uh, of on this channel. And the show has recently celebrated its two-year anniversary. So that's that's very exciting stuff. All kinds of great things available that way. Uh, 
we keep talking about it. Eventually we'll get done with the first, it's going to be a video entry. Uh, there's a review coming that Matt Brandon and myself did for resident evil one. Uh, when we get post-production completed on that, you will get a video version of our review on the first resident evil movie. And what a doozy that one is. <clears throat> we still have two weeks left of, uh, the halo TV show on paramount plus that we're looking forward to finishing up. And, very soon we get Obi-Wan on Disney plus and like we've done for many other shows uh, of the big stuff coming for Disney and Marvel on Disney plus uh, we, we have every intention of bringing weekly recaps of Obi-Wan will likely in some form or fashion be Matt, myself and Harrison from the basement binge, good friend of the show and good friend to us. So uh, make sure you keep your eyes and ears open for those shows coming and uh, make sure to rate and review. Yeah, um, lot coming. So thank you so much, Rob, for that. And listeners, thank you, like Rob said, for taking the time listening to this show. Uh, recently, I just released a episode for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and our latest review of Halo will be coming out tomorrow, um, which is actually Tuesday, um, May 10th. Uh, the latest episode of Halo will be released that Rob and I just did, so you can check out our thoughts on that. But uh, as you listeners help us and listen to the show and interact, uh, I want to give back something to you. So recently, I have been able to form a partnership with Dubby Energy and if you're looking for an energy boost, but without the, you know, jitters and that crash from your typical energy drinks, Red Bull monster, and you're looking for something different, try Dubby energy. That's going to be in the show notes. And if you order now and use promo code MGTTM podcast, you will get 10% off your order. Uh, just a little something from us at Matt goes to the movies to, to help out the listeners, whether you're, you know, listening to us on the treadmill at work and you need a boost, uh, try this product. Uh, certainly looking forward to, you know, helping uh, get listeners a little bit more interactive with the show. So once again, this has been Matt Goes to the Movies. So we will see you very soon for the latest episodes.